You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ family of churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. Hello. Uh, good morning, everyone. My name is Kenny Zuchuku, and uh, I'm grateful to be able to speak with you. Um, happy Father's Day. Let's give up for all the fathers. If you're a father, I just want to let you know that we're so grateful. And when I was listening to that song, Amazing Grace, I started thinking about all the grace that my dad has bestowed on me over the years. And I thought about this particular story when when I was, I think, seven or eight, maybe older, but I'm going to just go on the younger side to be safe. And I was at home. We lived in Atlanta, Georgia. My parents had built this nice big house. And back then, I had issues with the toilet. And I just just felt like it was going too slow when I flushed it. And I was very, like, OCD, so back then I'm trying to figure out, all right, is it, is it going down? Because I didn't want to leave it dirty, and so I would watch, and if it wouldn't go fast enough, I kept, I kept flushing the toilet over and over again. And so I remember my first time of overflowing the toilet, I kept flushing, 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 and it started overflowing, and this time it didn't stop because I put too much tissue paper in it. So it kept going, and I got really scared. And I know, oh, my dad's going to be so mad. So what I did is I didn't go tell my mom or my dad, but what I chose to do is go hide in my room. Because thinking it'll go away if I just hide, right? Because that's what we do as humans. And very natural when you're 8, 9, maybe perhaps even 12. And I remember I hid in my room, and the water started overflowing, and then underneath the bathroom was my dad's office. You guys know where this is going. And back then, they had things called files, paper files. And my dad had gotten a laptop, but that was one of probably the first laptop ever created back then. Because they weren't popular, right? Macs weren't even invented. So I remember the water dripped through, and it went through the drywall, and it went to his office. And, and then I hear my dad yell, Kanachuku! And then he runs upstairs, and he's like, what's going on? And he's trying to figure it out and stop it all going. I'm in my room thinking, like, this is it. This is the end of me. This is the end of me. This is the end of me. But I'll never forget his response. He looked at me, and he said, why would you do that? Very calmly, very collectively. And I realized that the issue in that moment wasn't the fact that I overflowed the toilet, Right? It was that I was so afraid to confront what I had done. But he had a grace on me, and obviously they had to, like, fix the, the drywall and everything, and he had to figure out his file. I don't even, honestly, I don't, to this day, I don't even know the extent of how much that damage was, but I know that my dad still loved me regardless. And the title of my lesson today is, Our Eyes Are On You. I'm not sure if the slide's up, but Our Eyes Are On You. And I love this title because when I was reading scriptures last week, I was reading through Second Chronicles. I read this line that we're going to read later, and it really gave me a sense of just how important fatherhood is and how our eyes are on fathers, not just my father, but just in America, the U.S. We look to fathers or the lack thereof. And I read a crazy stat in the U.S. Census Borough 2020, they added a new update. And there's 18.3 million children, that's one in four, who are without a biological, an adoptive, 
or a stepfather in the U.S. That's a lot. And if you go to the next slide, you see some of these stats here where these are some of the factors, and this is posted by the National Fatherhood Initiative, of what, what some things that are caused, that they believe is caused by this absent fatherhood. Children are four times, great, four times greater for the risk of poverty. More likely to have behavioral problems. Two times greater the risk of infant mortality. Seven times more likely to become pregnant as a teen. Child abuse. More likely to face abuse and neglect. Substance abuse. Incarceration. Child obesity. Crime. Education. There's more. I just posted a couple things here to show that the National Fatherhood Initiative believes that these are things caused when we don't have fathers in the U.S., not even worldwide, right? If we go to the next slide, this is a picture of me and my dad at my graduation. I was one of the lucky few to have a father that stuck around. And for many of you, maybe you haven't had fathers in your life. And I've had friends who've shared with me their experience growing up, and I want to let you know that we hear you, we see you. And today, hopefully, this lesson, when we talk about our Father in Heaven, can help bring you some comfort. I know it's not always sunshines and rainbows, but we want you to know that you do have a Father. You have a Father. You have a Father. And it may not be my biological Father, but it's a Father so much greater than what even my dad could do. And I hope that can bring you comfort this morning. But this is my dad, and this is my graduation, my grad school graduation, I don't think we could get a photo of us both looking at the camera for some reason. So this is the one that I guess we picked. And I remember uh, my dad growing up, he didn't smile that often, you know. He's not like a smiler. He's more like a I'm the man in the house kind of thing. But it was so cool to see at my graduation just him smiling the whole time. So encouraged. He was there. And I'm grateful. And I hope you are grateful, too, for your father, if you have a father who's stuck around. So let's turn our Bibles over to Second Chronicles. We're going to read this scripture here, and hopefully we'll learn a few things today. It reads, After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites with some of the Munites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. A vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already in Hazazan Tamar, that is, Engedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. Our God, 
Did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people, Israel, and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary of your name, saying, If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name. And we'll cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. But now here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance, our God. Will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And that was the line that struck me, reading this verse last week. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. King Jehoshaphat was the king of Israel, a major nation, the head honcho. He was on top of the world. So this amazing king responds in front of all his people that he's leading. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Three things we're going to think through here before my dad comes up. He's going to speak, so he might get me back what I shared earlier. We'll see. Three things. Number one, Jehoshaphat was alarmed. We'll go to the next slide. Jehoshaphat was alarmed. Now, whenever you have stuff coming to attack you or people or nations coming to attack you, back then what they would do is they would not only attack you, but they would take all your people and bring them to their own homelands and then they'll reculturate them. They indoctrinate them with a different way of understanding how the world works. So it's really important that you don't let anyone come in and invade you and take you over, right? It's quite scary. It's quite fearful. It's something that most Americans have never felt, especially in our modern times, because we haven't really been in war. We've been in peacetime, right? So these guys are scared, but Jehoshaphat, the leader of this nation is responsible. So he was alarmed and he was scared. And that Hebrew word is ra'ah or yara, which is fear. It's the same word that was used when Adam and Eve were in the garden and they got scared because they ate the forbidden fruit. You guys know what I'm talking about? So what did they do? They, they went away and they, went, they hid from God, right? As if you can't hide from God, right? And what does Adam say? He says, I heard you, God, in the garden when God asked, where are you? I heard you in the garden. I was scared. He says, I was afraid. So he hid. It's the same word that Jehoshaphat used here to describe how he was feeling. He was alarmed. He was scared. Number two, we learn that Jehoshaphat inquired of the Lord. So right after he was scared and fearful, 
he goes straight to getting on his knees and saying, God, what are we going to do? And lastly, we learn, number three, Jehoshaphat brought his people along the journey. So he proclaims this huge fast. He says, everyone, we're going to do this together. We are going to fast for this problem. And then he goes into this long speech where he closes by saying, we do not know what we're going to do, but our eyes are on you. So when I read that a week ago, I thought instantly of my father. And I remember I was in a, a Bible group with some of the young professionals. And I remember telling them that this struck me so deeply. I shared about it in the group. I'm like, how can I not share about this? It just spoke to me. And I thought about my dad. And I thought through the interactions where he was fearful of stuff. Financial problems. Me doing terrible in school. <laughs> making mistakes. The whole shebang. Just ask him. But I remember always his first response. I remember rolling my eyes. He'd be like, we got to pray. I'm like, oh, like, what's prayer going to do? I was like a 13-year-old, right? We have issues here. We need, to figure, we need to solve this the right way. But he'd always inquire of the Lord. So that scared, fearful response, the feeling which is okay to have, was always coupled by this, we need to go to God. And then lastly, he would bring us along for the journey, even though I didn't want to go on this journey. He'd be like, hey, we're going to have a group family devotional. I'm like, oh, I kind of want to play my Game Boy Color right now. But you, you sit there and you endure it like, all right, dad's praying for 20 minutes again. Here we go. All right, here's the speech. I know he's going to say it. Oh, he said it at that point. We got, we knew what was coming, but he'd always drop at least one line in there. Where we're like, oh, maybe I should listen to this guy, you know? But I loved my dad because that was how he embodied his life. That's what he modeled. Even when I pushed against it, even when I didn't think it was helpful, even when I was annoyed, I was clear. We don't know what we're going to do, but our eyes are on you. And he'd look up and he'd pray these incredibly long prayers. But he was connecting to God. And now I look back and I don't think it's corny or weird or annoying or frustrating, I look back and I realize, wow, he stuck through this even when he knew we weren't listening most of the time. Even when he knew that we were being rebellious and frustrating and my, my siblings and even when he knew that there's a chance we might not believe in God. So I'm just setting it, I'm just setting him up, but he should be behind me. But without further ado, I will introduce you, my dad, to Sheikh Izuchuku. Good morning, church. Good morning, church. Yeah. Uh, my name is the Sheikh Izuchuku. I'm a disciple of Jesus. That's all I am. Um, I would like to have all the dads in the house stand up, please, to be recognized. 
Amazing. I wish I can tell you your job is easy, but it's not. You may sit down, please. You know, um, being a dad is not an easy job. I had some guy said he was going to, he's intending to be a dad. So I want him to be ready. That is a serious business. <laughs> but uh, on this special day, which is Father's Day, nationwide, worldwide, I think there should be Father's Day every day, in my view. It's not just a one-day thing. Don't you agree with me? Yes. You know, the scripture was very clear about what Jehovah did, which is Father's Day, nationwide, worldwide. I think there should be Father's Day every day, in my view. It's not just a one-day thing. Don't you agree with me? Yes. You know, the scripture was very clear about what Jehovah did. He called his people together. He was fearful. He was scared. And what did he do? He went to God and surrendered, right? That is what fathers do. We surrender when things we don't know what it is that we're doing. I have done that many, many times. I stand here today because of the word of God. That's where I stand here today. Without it, I don't think I would be here today speaking to all of you. I would have been in the statistics of those dads who walked away or just went about their own selfish business. So I want to say that the word of God is the foundation of fatherhood. That is where you build your strength. You know, um, on this day, we're here to celebrate Father's Day. And I hope that everyone here and those at home will have a memorable Father's Day with their families. That's what I wish you. I have an example of what I can share that relates to the scripture my son Kenny just spoke about. Many years ago, when Kenny was about 15 years old, he was just a new disciple for about a year. He was attending Palisade High School. And one of the teachers in AP classes, in one of his AP classes, spoke about science, uh, creationism, and something that messed him up big time. He was disillusioned about his faith and was struggling. I didn't know what to do. I said, Father, you're not giving tools to deal with such a thing. So what did I do? I called my wife. I got out my family. I said, please, we need to pray and fast for seven days to see how we can help this young man to have his focus right. Because we were really scared. We are the kind of thing that was coming out of his ideas and brain. That's what we did. I didn't have all the answers. But I went to God for directions. And we can say that today, God answered our prayers. So, I want you dads to say, I don't know what to do, but when I go to God, I will find all the answers. There's a scripture that I would like us to share. I think it should be somewhere. Um, It's in uh, Proverbs 4. Let me see if I can read it here. 
Please allow me to share that. It said, listing my son and children to a father's instructions. Pay attention and gain understanding. I give you sound learning, so do not forsake my teaching. For I too was a son to my father, still tender and cherished by my mother. Then he taught me, and he said to me, Take hold of my words with all your heart. Keep my commands, and you will live. And I move to verse 20, continuing from there. My son, my children, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ears to words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them, and health to the one's whole body. Above all else, guide your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thoughts to the parts of your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus, guys. We need to stay focused so that we can stay engaged in our responsibilities as father. It is not an easy job. Being a father is the greatest gift and honor you can have on earth. But our greatest father, God, knew what we needed. And that's why he modeled Christ to help to direct us, to save us, and give us all the directions we need. So we can be effective father. There is a deficit of fatherhood in the whole world. And it's causing a lot of social distress on the youths. And it's creating more problems than the world can contain. I hope those of us who are fathers and those of us who are fathers-to-be will take this responsibility very seriously and we look forward, not just to your children, but also to be a mentor to other kids around your sphere of influence. We need that a lot. So I thank you for this opportunity to share and I hope that today, moving forward, we will take fatherhood very serious and fix our eyes on Jesus for directions on how to be a great father. Thank you so much for allowing me to share. Amen. Awesome. Well, Hanley, do you still want to be a father? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. That was crazy. Um, so to close out our thoughts here, we transition to communion. Um, I think that for me growing up as a son, a lot of the time that I spent was fighting with my father, like battling, the battle of wills. And I remember vividly times when we would have late nights, and obviously now I realize, oh, well, he worked a full-time job and he still stayed up late to talk to me. But I would just kind of go, you know, prideful self, trying to figure out how to one-up or beat my dad. And there's a part of that that can be healthy, right? Because you're growing, you're trying to be independent as a son. 
But my point is in sharing that is for those of you that are not fathers, but who are younger, my generation, millennials, Gen Z, I hope that you can not listen to this message and think it's not for you. I really don't think that that's what I want you to get from this. I don't think that's the point. I hope you really can see this is a calling from God to be a father. And what you do now prepares you for that. How you treat women, how you treat your friends, how you treat your relationship with God prepares you for the task at hand. So there's not, there's, you, you need all the time you can get. It's not a waste of time to do things God's way. And that's something that I've been, it's been on my heart lately. And I'm realizing now it's not just me, but it's a lot of, a lot of us younger people. So as we transition to communion and to relate it to everyone, there are some threads that are similar for all of us, right? King Jehoshaphat led all of us lead in some capacity, whether we're fathers or not. We lead in some capacity, even, even if it's just leading yourself out of bed in the morning. You know, you lead in some capacity. So I want us to discuss this. We're going to do some communion discussion before we, we, we break in. We pray for communion. But I, the questions are here. What could your life look like this week if every time you felt alarmed, fearful, or scared, you chose to either, one, go to the Lord in prayer, and slash, or two, bring others along on your journey? So I want you to spend a few minutes here with the people around you, and I just want you to imagine and think through this week. What things trigger me? What I usually get afraid of? What, what keeps me from actually going to the Lord? And just think about what it would look like if you responded the way King Jehoshaphat responded. And those of you online, maybe you're sitting by yourself, um, I, call someone, FaceTime somebody, or if you don't have an iPhone, Zoom somebody, and spend some time connecting with people as we discuss this for the next few minutes. And when we come back, I'll close out with the final thought. We'll pray, and then we'll take communion. Sound good? All right, let's do it. So we're going to do a little activity before we pray for communion. We are going to, uh, I want everyone just to close your eyes for a second. Just listen to music. Just close your eyes. And I want you to angle your head upwards as you're looking to the sky. Your eyes closed. want you to say repeat after me we do not know what we want to do say it again we do not know what to do but our eyes are on you we do not know what to do but our eyes are on you last time we do not know what to do But our eyes are on you. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, thank you so much for bringing us here together. Thank you for this time where we can celebrate fathers. And again, it's a tough time for many of us who haven't grown up with fathers. But I pray that as we meditate on the words in this passage and the sharing today, we can just remember just how you are Heavenly Father. You are the Father to the fatherless. And you sent your Son to embody just the lifestyle of a father, sacrificial love, willing to give everything for us. Even knowing that many of us wouldn't respond, knowing that we'd shun your son, look away from him, look away from you. But I pray that as we take communion today, we take the juice that represents the blood of your son and the bread that represents his body. I pray that we take this in remembrance of you. And as we go through the week, as we go through our days, and we have fears or troubles or tribulations that come our way, we can take a moment, pause, close our eyes, look up and say, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you and on your son and what he did for us on the cross. Thank you so much, Lord. We love you, and we pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. You've just listened to the Westside Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.